0: WDBM East Lansing.
1: Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-389-3. And now,
0: the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. My name is Dave Perinkiu, I will be your host as usual for the next hour. As always, my lovely co-host, Megan, to my left. Megan, how you doing today?
1: I am doing better than I was this weekend.
0: Better. Long weekend?
1: <laughs> yes, I was sick all weekend, but it doesn't mean I missed the game Saturday. I still went.
0: Of course. I had
1: a nasty cold, I had a sore throat, all the all the jazz. You know, the day I went and saw my parents on Saturday, they're like, you're pale. I'm like, I don't feel good, but I'm still here. <laughs> you
0: know, I'm in a football coma, Mom. Exactly. What do you want me to do?
1: I know. It was great, though.
0: No, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, it was a gorgeous weekend. Um, and first off, before we get into sports, uh, obviously yesterday was uh, 9-11, the 10th anniversary. And I uh, just wanted to say personally, you know, obviously all of our thoughts and prayers go out to the families and friends that have dealt with this tragedy over the last 10 years. And I uh, just want to say, hey, you know, America, I think we're stronger. And, you know... Better today. And I think that, you know, we came together as a country yesterday, and I think we saw that through sports in a lot of ways. I think people can kind of come together, all different races, creeds, colors, and sports will bring them together. So it was great to see that in all different forms around the country yesterday. But uh, yes, as I was saying, a lot did happen in the sports world, whether it was college football, NFL, baseball. Honestly, I was in a sports coma. I don't know about you, like I think footballs just staring at the TV for hours. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when to stop watching. I had to take breaks at some points. You know, I, I decided to miss like the four o'clock NFL games yesterday. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I went outside, finally got some exercise. <laughs> like I have to do something outside. It's too nice out. Right. But um, yes. I mean, we'll definitely be getting to the Spartans absolutely trouncing. The Florida Atlantic Owls. We'll also be talking about that world win of a game between Notre Dame and the Michigan Wolverines. We got the Lions for you here, defeating Tampa Bay. We have uh, some news, obviously, with the Tigers, 9 and 0 oh now, uh, 9 0 oh, uh, nine, 9 winning streak, excuse me, uh, just absolutely crushing it there in the Central Division. So uh, we got some tennis for you at NASCAR here with Megan. We got it all. Um, don't forget the phone number, 517 432 38-93 is the number. But we are going to start off with our Michigan State Spartans. And as I was saying, the Spartans played the Florida Atlantic Owls here on Saturday at Spartan Stadium at noon. And they absolutely decimated them. Um, if anyone had question marks after last last week's game against um, Youngstown State, where the Spartans you know, won 28-6, it wasn't a great game, but it wasn't a bad game. The Spartans got a W. Uh, well, the Spartans, I think, hushed up a lot of their critics with this play against Florida Atlantic. Now, Florida Atlantic, of course, they're no, you know, are no Wisconsin, they're no Ohio State, they're no Big Ten team or some really good non-conference team. But last year it was a close game. It was thirty to seventeen. It, you know, it wasn't. It was a real close game there at Ford Field. But the Spartans absolutely dominated. Forty-four to nothing was your final score. Absolutely taking advantage of everything that they could from the Owls um, on Saturday afternoon. And you want to talk about a performance. And Michigan State only allowed one first down mm-hmm. this entire game. Now that, to me, is quite nuts. I don't care who you're playing. It really doesn't matter. You can be playing the bottom of the barrel, the worst team in FCS football, and for that team to get one first down is incredible. Um, they matched the school record here set against Maryland in 1944. So it's been a long time since our Spartans have done something like that. And not to only allow one first down... They also only gave up 48 yards in total offense, which is 6th best here in MSU history, and it's just behind the 46 yards allowed against Iowa State in 1947. So the Spartans, defensively and offensively, absolutely clobbered the Owls. They put up over more than 400 yards of total offense, punted the ball one time, they looked fantastic. Again, people will say, oh, it was only Florida Atlantic. But like I said, last year, Florida Atlantic played us decent. They're not a bad school. They're not a bad team. And I think Michigan State wanted to hush their critics up and really prove to Coach D'Antonio as well, hey, we got it. Um, what did you take away from this game, Megan? I mean, you were there. You know, you saw it firsthand. What was what stood out to you?
1: This, they were just so much more aggressive. It's just, they were so sloppy last week. It was just like penalties. If it wasn't a penalty, it was they were – you know, dropping the ball. There was one one pass that really scared me. Um, uh-huh. When um, everyone was telling me it wasn't Cousins, but I was almost positive it was Cousins. He threw it, he bombed it right in the middle of the end zone instead of throwing it out. He uh-huh. threw it right in the middle of everyone, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I think one of them ended up catching it. But the one thing, the last eight minutes when they had the fumble recovery for a touchdown, he mm-hmm. that guy was not going down. No, he wasn't. He was not. But no, they were just so much more aggressive. No, I didn't see nearly as many penalties as I did last. Not week. at all.
0: They only had three penalties for yeah, 20 yards, which exactly, was very impressive. Which is
1: very good. Um, you know, they just their defense just dominated. They just stopped everything, and that's that's what they need. I mean, games are obviously won by points, but they're also won by your defensive line and your defensemen because they're what stops the other team from scoring points, and to stop them from or to make or wow to restrict them to only one first down. That is an accomplishment in itself. That's something they should be patting themselves on the back going, that's great. Like, yeah. let's do it next game. We got Notre Dame at away, you know. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but yeah. But yes. Yes. They they did extremely well. You know, they stopped, they stopped um, Florida Atlantic's offense. Like you said, they're not a bad team. We, we saw them play them last year. And they just, they came out as a, a completely different team. And I think it, you know, last week I was a little scared, but mm-hmm. this week... I'm more impressed, especially which we're going to get to later after the Notre Dame-Michigan game.
0: Yes, without a doubt, and uh, yeah, Michigan State just all around look very impressive. I mean, let's just be honest. The running game, solid. Le'Veon Bell, 69 yards. Uh, Nick Hill, who is going to be a big instrument in this offense in the coming years once we lose Baker and such. So Nick Hill 56 yards, looked solid out there. Edwin Baker doing his thing, 50 yards, only nine carries. Caper, 27 yards on nine carries. Um, you know, really just getting it done all around. Kirk Cousins being as efficient as usual. Um, Six 16 for 21 passing, 183 yards, had two touchdowns, no interceptions, um, just looked solid out there. And Maxwell, which, you know, a good thing about a game like this was that they actually got 70 different players in this game. They had a lot of time to play guys like, you know, Lippitt, you know, so like a lot of guys are going to be here in the future for us. And it's great to see when you have young guys that you really have high hopes for, get game experience in the regular season in real games and i think he saw a lot of that here maxwell going six for nine throwing for 63 yards you know just you know getting enough reps these guys need reps it helps and when you can get it actually in game type speed game, an actual game that matters you know it's really helpful um you look at the time of possession in this game it's ridiculous 42 minutes to 17 yeah absolutely absurd um, You don't see that too often, but again, with one first down, I, I guess it does make more sense than yeah. not. But um, congratulations to the Spartans. Um, I think they looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, Here's a quote from uh, Coach D'Antonio regarding the fact that they only held the Owls to 48 yards of total offense. D'Antonio says, quote, To do that in 2011, you have so many different concepts out there an offensive takes advantage of, and it's pretty incredible. I think once you move forward, you're always trying to find an identity as a football team. Our next test is down at Notre Dame next week. We have to be fundamentally sound. We have to do things well down there, and we have to build our identity. I don't think one one game makes it, but I thought we took steps in that direction today, end quote. And I think that is the attitude that you need to have. No matter how well you played against Florida Atlantic, you are getting into the tough part of your schedule. Not completely yet, but you're getting there. You Mm -hmm. do have to play at Notre Dame next week, and we will get to that game, obviously, coming up here in a minute. Uh, But after that, it's Central Michigan at home, which should be an easy win. And then you start Big Ten play. So it's very important for this team to get off on the right track like this, but also carry it to a road game next week into a very hostile environment at South Bend. But no, congratulations again Michigan State Spartans. Everyone played all all around played great. The receivers, the D-line, offensive line, um, I don't have any criticisms really at all. Three penalties for 20 yards, uh, no turnovers. I mean, what can you really complain about?
1: That was the big thing we complained about last year was penalties. Because penalties can lose you games. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep getting penalties 5, 10, 15 yards every, a couple every quarter, it's going to kill you in the long run.
0: No, it would definitely kill you. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, to see them get more disciplined on that side of the ball is very important. You know, we do have some younger guys out there at times, and, they you know, it's nice to see them step in and play well. Um, another quick fun fact for uh, Spartans defense in the fewest al- yards ever allowed actually took place in 1950 when we played the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, they had a total of negative 11. Eleven <laughs> yards, and, then in, and this is a, this is a good one for all state fans. We'll love this in 1951. Michigan State held Michigan to six total yards. Yeah. So fantastic. Now looking ahead real fast to the Notre Dame-Michigan State game, uh, Notre Dame, who is now 0-2, coming off a heartbreak of a loss to the Wolverines here uh, on Saturday night at the Big House, losing 35-31 to in a game that we will get to here shortly. But uh, overall, the season series uh, between Notre Dame and Michigan State is 45-28-1 in favor of Notre Dame. But that makes sense because that's when Notre Dame was much better in the past looking at more recently the last fourteen seasons we've met consecutively the last fourteen years Michigan State is ten and four in that stretch so we have had Notre Dame's number really over the last fourteen seasons so uh, that is something of a good thing to look forward to coming up here for us heading to South Bend um if everyone I mean I think everyone can remember little Giants last year mm-hmm. fake field goal to win the game. Um, You know, basically nine of the last 11 meetings between Michigan State and Notre Dame have been by single digits. So I think you can count on a close game. Um, I think you look at Notre Dame and how they, I mean, I don't know how they bounce back mentally from the loss that they just took. Um, it was such a loss that I mean, I thought Notre Dame had this game locked up, just absolutely locked up and they blew it. God, did they blow it. And we're going to see how that carries in to the Michigan State Notre Dame game. I think Michigan State wins this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked about it when, uh, you know, uh, Coach here below was on and, you know, Rick Audis mm-hmm. that when you go into a game like that. I think you look at Kirk Cousins and you say Kirk Cousins. I'll take Kirk Cousins over Tommy Rees any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Any day of the week, uh, Tommy Rees, who you know replaced Dane Crist this last Saturday to play in the Michigan game, had. Three had three turnovers, four turnovers himself, excuse me, which is just pathetic. Um, he had three interceptions. He had one fumble. He had another fumble, but they didn't lose that. Um, you know, I think a, a young guy that got really all discombobulated um, somehow uh, by the Michigan's defense, which I didn't even think was that great. I think a lot of the turnovers that you saw in this game, they, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, no, the defense forced that. No. If you look at many of those turnovers, and honestly, I'm saying logically, look at them. They were completely on the, that team's fault. Whether it was a fumble, the guy didn't even get touched and he fumbles the ball. You can say that for Michigan and Notre Dame, a lot of the turnovers that they had were pathetic. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't because of great coverage. They weren't because the quarterback was getting driven into the ground by a sack. It was because it was a bad handoff. Tommy Reese tries to throw the ball once. He throws it like he's in the sandlot. And the ball just flies behind him. And no one touched him. No one touched his arm. It was a joke to me. Um, But getting to that game, let's get to more of the specifics of the uh, Michigan-Notre Dame game. Um, Again, this place took place under the big house. The lights, first time in the history of Michigan football. It took them that long to finally get lights i um, at their stadium, but um, no, it was an exciting game. It was a very exciting game. I will not take that away from anyone. I think anyone watching that game on Saturday very much enjoyed it. It was back and forth. Um, Notre Dame did have that 24 to 7 lead for a while. You really thought that they were going to kind of just run away with it. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Michigan does make a, you know, a final run, but that fourth quarter was something else. Um, you know, Michigan had five touchdown drives and none lasted longer than five plays which is in itself absurd. Mm-hmm. Um but it it did lead to exciting football. Now my question to all of our listeners and uh you know to yourself Megan, mm-hmm. you know I know other a lot of analysts and a lot of people have talked about this, did Michigan win this or did Notre Dame lose it? And I think it's the best question to look at a game like this because Notre Dame has a se- you know they have a lead with 30 seconds left. Michigan has what? One timeout. One timeout left, okay? Who won it? Who lost it in that fourth quarter? I mean, you have a 24 to 7 lead basically going into the fourth who won it or lost it phone number 517-432-3893 Megan I want to get your opinion before hopefully we get some callers calling about this Uh, what did you think of that
1: I think honestly Notre Dame lost it okay um it was a sloppy football game in the first place like you were saying turnovers fumbles all that kind of stuff I can't stand Denard Robinson I think he's one of the worst quarterbacks ever just (laughs) saying he can't throw for the life of himself all he can do is run and he's fast um but one of them that sticks out in my mind completely is the one where there's the dog pile. They were trying to push it in and pops out. Denard Robinson picks it up, runs in the end zone, gets down on one knee and stares at the ground. I'm like, are you, is this a joke? Like, you think you're awesome? Um, but no, I, I do think Notre Dame lost it. Um, I don't think, I mean, they got a, a penalty right at the end that was called off because it, Michigan did score the touchdown for pass interference. Um, I just don't think they took it as seriously as they should have, or they should they tried as hard as they should have. Maybe their defense isn't that good, but I think you know there was actually a bet going on. I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, there was a bet going on at my table after um, Notre Dame was up fourteen to nothing that Michigan was not going to score a touchdown and because the, Notre Dame was looking that much better. And
0: they did. As, they looked great in the first quarter. Exactly. They looked fantastic. They were running up and down the field. Michigan didn't look like they had, had their no. heads on the straight. And
1: Michigan's defense is still non-existent. I, I still think it's nothing, and uh, Brady Hoke can go. I don't know. Um, his interviews are just stupid, and but I just I, I think Notre Dame lost it. They like you said, they looked good in the first quarter, and then just they just they look dis- good for
0: three pretty much. Yeah. I mean, really,
1: they just kind of slowly got worse though. As like as the game went on and then the fourth quarter came would they score like 27 points in the fourth quarter? Michigan did or something? Yeah, they scored a bunch. Yeah, they scored a lot and I think they just gave up. I don't know what it was. Maybe they're not they they played too hard in the first three quarters and they need to learn how to play a whole entire game. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I do think Notre Dame lost it. I don't think Michigan won.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that like again, this was an exciting football game and I'm not trying to take away from anything from any Michigan fans either. Be happy you won. Okay, a win is a win, win, and that's true. Okay, a win's a win. You don't want to be on the other end of it, no matter how sloppy the football game is. Of course not. But I won't sit here and say you got Brett Musburger as soon as the game's over. Instant classic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, instant classic. Well, yes. Excitement wise, it's an instant classic. But let's keep it in context. That it was a week two football game with two overrated football teams and some of the sloppiest football I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we just need to keep all this within the realm of reality that, yes, it was an exciting game in the in the moment. But was it two powerhouse football teams playing each other that yeah, have the potential to go to a BCS <laughs> Bowl game? I don't think so.
1: Michigan didn't even make it into the top twenty-five AP. No, yeah, and if,
0: yeah, and if they were that good, and if that game, if they played that well, they would have broken the top twenty-five. Yes, I get it. They were twenty-six. so They were right on the cusp of the top twenty-five. But still, eighty-two penalty yards. Okay, you know, for uh, for uh, Michigan, seventy-nine for uh, seventy-five for Notre Dame. I mean, a combined they five turnovers for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. four turnovers for Michigan. Um, it was a joke.
1: They kept throwing interceptions. That was each of them. Like, that's the one thing I kept seeing, too. You throw a ball. Oh, look, they got another interception. <laughs>
0: and listen, I will give Denard Robinson credit in the fact that he played well in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Okay. He did play well in the fourth. In the first half, he was two for nine passing. He looked pathetic out there. But then finally, Brady Hoke, I was saying it to the TV, get away from your game plan and really let Denard... Do what he does. He runs the ball great. Let him run it. And you know what? They took advantage of that. He rushed for 108 yards. Um, you know, did a good job. He really did firm up his passing there in the second half. Ended with 338 yards from um, through the air. Was 11 for 24. Four touchdowns. Three interceptions. Um, Hemingway, his receiver, really getting it done. Um, just three catches, but 165 yards and a touchdown. Um, again, I just I see this as a very sloppy game. It was a win. Congratulations, U of M. Um, you know, but at the same time, what? A, you know, if you can't walk away from this game and think, even if I was a U of M fan, if this was State playing a football game like this and we squeaked it out, I would just wipe my brow and say, "Whew." Yeah. But we have a ton to work on.
1: But the thing we have is, a ton
0: to work on. Don't be, st- you know. Yeah.
1: yeah, the thing is, people are sitting here after this Notre Dame game and they're like, oh, bring it up, Miss you. You're not going to beat us now. I'm like, really? Well, do you
0: think Kirk Cousins is going to throw three picks? Because I don't No,
1: I don't either. And I think he's going to be a much better quarterback than Denard Robinson is. And I think our defense is a lot better than Michigan's is. And I think our offense can beat their defense pretty well.
0: I do too. I think our defense is better. Mm-hmm. I think our D line's way better. Mm-hmm. And I think they can give Denard a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I think our offense is solid enough. We can dictate a running game, a running game that Notre Dame doesn't really have.
1: They're trying to compare us to Notre Dame. And I just don't see, I don't see a comparison. They're two totally different programs, and Notre Dame, how they played in that game is nothing compared to how Michigan State played against Florida Atlantic.
0: No, and I know it's tough It's tough to compare, but I was yeah. playing Florida Atlantic, and then playing U of M, yeah. and them playing on the road, and under the lights, and first night game, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, how many times did they say, it? first night game in the history? Well, I get it. I get it. Like, you don't have to mention it every two seconds. <laughs> But, um, you know, still, I mean, you know, Notre Dame, looking ahead to that, more or less, between us and them, I think we got it. I see no reason why not. Uh, Tommy Reese looked great at times, but then looked pathetic. Um, Floyd was really the biggest catalyst for Notre Dame. Yes, Tommy Reese had to get him the ball, but I think Floyd is, you know, a guy you need to watch out for. Uh, Pretty much, he's a solid player. But looking ahead to next week, I think you're going to see Notre Dame have some trouble here, and I think they... Pot- very potentially, you're going to go down 0 and three. I really think they're going to. Oh, me too. Um, you know the way they the way they played. I just don't know if you bounce back from that. I think they're going to have some fire in their bellies, but at the same time, what a heartbreaker of a loss to give up a touchdown there with two seconds left mm-hmm. um, is just something else. I mean, congr- uh, you know I'll give Brady Hoke has some guts to throw the ball there and not just try to tie it up and go into overtime is gutsy. And I'll give them that. Maybe they would have had still enough time on the clock, potentially, with an errant pass. You know, maybe three seconds. They would have had enough time to kick a field goal. But that was pretty gutsy. Um, And I just think bad defense. I mean, you look at the play that got them down there, which was, you know, the uh, 64-yard gain to um, Jeremy Gallon. Just, pass, yeah. yeah, just, I mean, there was, I don't know what kind of pre-event they were playing, but it just looked he bad out there.
1: wide open, He too. just
0: um, I don't know what happened. You know, the, saf- the safeties of the guys dropped back, and he just got in between them, and a 64-yard game, which you thought, I thought was improbable at the time. And then yeah. just to see them, then they throw the 16-yard touchdown pass to Roy Roundtree, and you could tell that corner had no idea where the ball was. And... Uh, that is confused. They looked like at the end. <laughs> Uh, very confused, but yeah, you guys could call an all-show about this uh, game. I just want to be curious to see what fans think of this game. Do they think it is some instant classic, or do they think that it was a game where it was exciting but very, very sloppy and just you know a lot to work on for both teams going in? Uh, looking ahead for Michigan, real fast. Michigan should have actually a pretty easy rest of the way until they get to Big Ten play. Um, they're playing Eastern Michigan University, who never beats anyone um, this next week. Uh, Michigan is nine and zero in the in the series against them, and then they will actually play San Diego. State at home as well. Michigan doesn't go on the road until week six. Um, they have five straight home games. So uh, Michigan State, I mean Michigan, will be taking on San Diego State, uh, Brady Hoke's uh, old team. And Brady Hoke took them to their four, first bowl game uh, this last year, uh, first bowl game in the last twelve years. So San Diego State, we'll see if they still are as improved as Hoke left them. Um, and after that, Michigan will be playing Minnesota, which again should be a very easy win. So it'll be quite interesting to see what Michigan really should be. I think in all realms five and all by the time they go to at Northwestern and then they travel to Michigan State for the october fifteenth uh great game that's going to be coming up here would so, you
1: would you think about Notre Dame and Michigan's jerseys?
0: I loved them actually did you? I thought they looked great oh really I really did i mean i thought i mean i don't like saying that about either the teams, but um I just like the old school jerseys. I think they look cool I think I, Michigan's jerseys actually look pretty cool and
1: I like Notre dames I like the it was such a different green. Like, no, it
0: was. I like Notre Dame's too. I just, yeah. you know, I didn't mind like, you know, they got the stripes the strikes, there on the top. Yeah. I just kind of they kind of looked a little more intimidating, uh, I guess, in a sense. But. You think? Uh, well, I mean, just kind of. <laughs> I, I like the jerseys a decent amount. They're not bad.
1: I, I just—I wanted to ask because I was hearing a lot of comments about them while I was watching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, real fast, let's go back to Michigan State. Uh, just to let you know that they have settled on a starting five for their offensive line uh, for this game on uh, Saturday against Notre Dame. Again, that game will be at 3.30 in South Bend. But the, uh, the guys are going to be on uh, uh, Dan France and Marcus Rush. Uh, L- Dan France, who is our uh, linebacker, and uh, uh, Mar- Marcus Rush. She was our defensive end. Um, they will be in there also on the depth chart Benny Fowler, and he's listening to the primary backup to Keyshawn Martin uh when it comes to that so uh yeah, they have their offensive line set, so that's good to see that kinda, they' kind of they they've made their picks they're you know they're honed in on that. So great there. Uh, looking at just the AP Top 25 real quickly, not too many changes, but there were some interesting things that did take place uh, this weekend. Ohio State barely squeaking past Toledo. Uh, Toledo having a chance to win that game, and uh, they did not, unfortunately. Uh, There's definitely room for Ohio, I mean, uh, Toledo all day. Against Ohio State, but Ohio State falls to 17th in the AP ranks. Uh, Michigan State actually climbs to 15th in the in the rankings. Wisconsin is seven, which is uh, very impressive for Wisconsin. Nebraska ten again. Michigan State 15. Ohio State 17, and that rounds out your Big Ten when it comes to the top 25. Oklahoma is still number one. Alabama two. LSU three. What's new Boise four? Yeah. Florida State five. Basically, none of those have changed much. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's where we are standing, and Michigan almost getting into the top 25 with 104 votes but did not get in. And Missouri and Penn State, Penn State losing to Alabama, uh, they fell from the rankings out of the top 25. So overall, what's the, uh, give me a score pick for the Michigan State-Notre Dame game. Any idea?
1: Mm. Like, Do you think single-digit,
0: double-digit are we seeing, you know, What do you think?
1: You know, if I if I pick the Michigan State team from this past weekend and the Notre Dame team from this past weekend, I can see double digits for sure. Mm -hmm. If if Notre Dame comes back angry and wanting to win and beat Michigan State, and Michigan State takes it too lightly, I can definitely see a very close game. It's really hard to determine how a game's gonna end up, especially with a winning team who won 44 to nothing and a losing team that won what? I don't know. They lost 31, 35. yeah. Yeah, lost whatever. And. It's it's hard to see how a team's gonna bounce back, like you said, Notre Dame. How are they gonna be? How good are they gonna be? But I, I still I think Michigan State's gonna win, whether it's gonna be close or whether it's gonna be you know a big gap. Yeah, I can't really give you a number.
0: No, that's fine. I mean, I yeah, again, I think Michigan State is going to win this game. I I really see them winning it probably by around fourteen points. I'm not gonna go crazy and say they're gonna be in about like you know twenty something. I think that's very tough to play a road game. In South Bend. But I think when it all is said and done, Michigan State will extend that lead. It still will be a close game, but I think Michigan State is the solid program here. And, you know, with the running back core that we had again. You know, that we have our receivers, our quarterback, the defensive line, especially. And now that they have the offensive line cemented in, uh, I think it's going to be very tough for Notre Dame to beat Michigan State. And that would be a very impressive win if Notre Dame could pull that mm-hmm. off. But uh, again, the phone number is 517 432 3893. If you got any thoughts, comments, whatever regarding Michigan State or the Michigan Notre Dame game that took place here this last weekend, but uh, we are going to move on very briefly. Um, and this is a story that um I'm going to be brief about it's uh much more sobering, a lot more sad um than really a lot of the other things that took place this weekend with all Michigan teams pretty much winning uh-huh. I mean you know but um unfortunately um there's a tragedy this last Wednesday regarding um a plane crash of uh russian hockey players and um and the crew um that died um it was a it was a very very sad crash uh very ill timed um, and some Red Wings uh, passed away as part of it as well. Um, Joe Lewis is mourning um, after the news that a Russian jet carrying the locomotive hockey team crashed near Yaroslav, killing reported 43 people. Um, uh, re- people regarded with the Red Wings, our former Red Wings assistant coach and defenseman Brad McCrimmon and defenseman Ruslan Saleh. Um They both were with the Wings last season. And uh, they both uh, they both died in this plane crash. Um, and former wing goalie and prospect Stefan Leve, who was drafted by the Wings in 2000, also died in this plane crash. Uh, Brad McCrimmon was 52 years old. Uh, Ruslan Saleh was 36. And uh, Liv was 30. Uh, again, thoughts and prayers go out to the families of everyone that passed away in that crash. Um, it's very, very sad to see that. Um, it crashed uh, immediately after leaving an airport near the city of Yaroslav on the Volga River, about 150 miles northeast of Moscow. Again, the plane was carrying 45 people, including 37 passengers and eight crewmen and eight crew members. All but two of the people were killed in the crash. And actually, today another one of the people that had survived the initial crash did die. Um, he had 90 percent of his body covered in burns and just was unable to hold on. Even though that the uh, Russian hospital they have one of the best. Um, burn units in the in the world really um just there was nothing they could do for him um there is one person who is still alive regarding this and um you wish him the best um you know plane crashes they're a scary type thing because you know i mean whether any sport it is baseball anything teams are traveling daily practically sometimes in these airplanes and you know You just can never, know when something like this could happen. I'm not saying that anyone should change anything about traveling. Of course, you have to do this. But nonetheless, it was a very big tragedy. And our hearts and prayers go out to all of the victims and all the families. And, you know, I mean, this has affected the Red Wings as well. This isn't just something that happened, you know, with the KHL and over there. This involved players that played in the NHL, that played on teams here, that had families here, that had homes here. And you know, again, our thoughts and prayers go out to them. It's a very sad, very sad day last Wednesday to hear that. And uh, again, we wish them the best. But uh, we are going to take a short break. Uh, when we do get back here, we're going to be talking about our Detroit Lions. Lions getting it done here. being Tampa Bay to go one and zero. Started off on the road this season. We also got Tigers for you. Some U.S. Open. Megan's got NASCAR. We got it all. You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on eighty-eight point nine WDBM East Lansing.
1: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a
0: dangerous place. A lot of gang members look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school
1: can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student... Is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to
0: boostup.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. Boostup.org, brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
1: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight The Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
0: Only on Impact Prime Time. Prime Time. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now back to Exposure. Welcome back to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. David Megan here with you. Just about a half hour left. I know some of you are probably watching Monday Night Football, so you don't want to tune into the show. No, but listen, we only got a half hour more. Tom Brady, he can do his thing later. But uh, yeah, that is actually taking place right now. Uh, Dolphins versus the Patriots on Monday Night Football. It's a doubleheader. Uh, you know, first one of the season, always a doubleheader. After that, will be the Raiders and the Broncos uh, battling off. So if you want to tune into that, that game pretty much just kicked off. Probably about 20 minutes ago on ESPN. But we are going to talk about the Detroit Lions, a game that took place yesterday. And I think something that got everyone jazzed up here in the state of Michigan and it's rough. It's yeah. It's a rarity to get jazzed up in week one with the Detroit Lions. But the Lions did get it done. They won 27-20 to against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, traveling to Tampa Bay for an opening game, which uh, was slated off to be a tough game. I knew it was going to be a tough game. I, I personally picked the Lions to lose um, that game. But at the same time, they won, and that's fantastic. I, like I said, I'll be wrong every time if it's the opposite result. It's a good thing for our home team. I don't care what I pick. But um, the Lions did get it done. Um, uh, Matt Stafford looked absolutely phenomenal out there. Uh, 24 for 33 passing, 305 yards. Three touchdowns, did have the one pick six that he did throw, which was a little fluky, but nonetheless, Stafford absolutely looking precision passing out there. Our running game looking solid as well. Job at best for uh, 72 yards, 21 attempts. Uh, Jerome Harrison even contributing in there with 27 yards, and uh, Nate Burleson with 20. Um, You know, really a a pretty solid game overall, I'd say, for the Detroit Lions. Um, Before I get to the negatives, like I said, I think Stafford looked great. Calvin Johnson making Mm -hmm. a few incredible grabs, um, you know, especially that one later in the game in the end zone the eight yard pass to him which again you just they you toss it four feet in the air above him he'll grab it
1: he's lanky and he's got sticky he's fingers. six
0: five and he he's amazing <laughs> and he can and you know it's funny because they kept talking about this all day you know when he comes to the ground he's just holding the ball up like i didn't i have possession i <laughs> trust me i have possession this is not going to happen like what happened last year <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is great to see the Lions come out and look so, uh, so great on offense um, and, and defense alone. I mean, you know, the score was not indicative of the box score. Okay, the score, the final score, in no way was indicative of really how much the Lions controlled this game and controlled it. Just uh, you know, from the you know the offensive line. I mean, they looked fantastic. Uh, thirty-six yard, uh, thirty-six minutes of possession time to twenty-three, really dominating the clock most of the game, uh, rather than the last couple uh, drives there by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, the Lions really getting it firing on all cylinders. They just looked great. Uh, every th- when I think you know, I had a you know big ooh moment when Stafford starts limping off the field, but I'm telling you, it's just a cramp. It's hot outside. These guys cramp up when it's that hot outside. It's okay. Um, no, Doll looked fantastic, and hopefully won't have to call him that um, ever again. Uh, Chris Houston, uh, he also uh, looked fantastic. You know, he had interception. Colin, Chris Houston playing a great job there in the secondary. Um, I just want to congratulate the Detroit Lions. Uh, you know, they lost 26 straight road starts last season before finally beating the Buccaneers to snap that streak. And, you know, they had finally snapped it. And now they've actually won five in a row. If you want to go back to last season when they won their final four. And I guess if you want to be crazy, you can even add the exhibition of this season mm-hmm. and say that they've gone 9-0. and But I'm not going to go that insane. We'll say 5-0. and But, uh, you know, with this game, Megan, I mean, how is important here for the Lions to get off – to a 1 and 0 start something that honestly they haven't done in so many different years um, you know this is a team that has started off 0 and 4 1 and 8 0 and 16 and 0 and 5 in the 4 of their 5 last 5 seasons you know just dreadful what do you what do you take away from this
1: they need that boost. They need that mentality that they can win games against teams that are decent. They can start off winning, you know, with a winning season. They can do this. And they they showed everyone that they are more than capable of doing this, especially mm-hmm. in a road game. You know, everyone's going to doubt the Lions on a road game. You know, we're never strong on the road, blah, blah, blah. But they just completely, like you read off most of the, the good stuff that they did and they just completely dominated this game and like you said the way that they played didn't reflect in the box score at all oh. and it's it's so it was such an important thing because it was a road game and because they have been pretty bad in the past or pretty terrible I guess is more if I want to say in the I mean past.
0: terrible or just rebuilding and just starting off slow whatever you want yeah. to say i mean the last time this team was really anything kind of decent was I believe it was 2007 they started off six and two and then finished the season one and seven the rest of the way Um, this is when Kitten was predicting 10 wins and we only went seven after starting six and two Um, I think it's very important mentally for this team that's why when I was having conversations about this game with friends of mine you know I'm always saying this game is more important for the Lions than it is for the bucks. The bucks were a team that was 10 and 6 last season. They did just barely miss the playoffs because of us defeating them. But at the same time, the Detroit Lions, I think needed this they needed this mental edge to go on a road game in a, you know, in a hostile environment here in Tampa and win a game. And not just barely win it. I know they only won by 7. You know, there was a, you know, the, the problems we will get you with the Lions will come up with a minute, it's boneheaded penalties. And again, that is something the Lions need need to work on because if they keep these boneheaded, Gosner this, I tell you, buddy, I'm going to smack you around because um, that was one of the dumbest penalties I've seen in a long time. Um, It was a personal foul penalty, obviously, against Gosner, which was terrible, which gave it a a chance for Tampa Bay to actually tie this game up and somehow let it get out of our hands. You know, It's something you can't let happen. Steven Peterman also with an unnecessary personal foul penalty in the first half. Um, This team had 68 penalty yards in the game. Not going to cut it. All right. I mean, I know the Lions won it, but this is a mental thing that they need to get better with, and I think that they do realize that at this time. Um, here's a quote uh, from Jim Schwartz, uh, really regarding you know how the Lions need to do better. And He says, "quote We didn't show our best. Coaches learn to live with physical mistakes, but some of the things we didn't, uh, some of the things we did, didn't show us in the best of light. And it's my job to make sure that it doesn't happen again." End quote. And left guard Rob Sims, uh, saying regarding the meeting um, on Monday, says, quote, We got cussed out. Uh, we expected that. That's part of growing and part of what we need. When I first got here, we just kind of stuck in those losing ways. Some stuff we did because that's what losing teams do. Some of that stuff is still part of us, and we are trying to break away from that. This was good. He is a great coach, and him coming at us and checking us after a win like this is big. It's going to help us down the road, end quote. So, I mean, Megan, looking at these penalties, I mean, would you probably say that is the the one real thing that the Lions need to work on playing Kansas City at home coming up here this Sunday?
1: Oh, for sure. Like I said with the Michigan State game, too, penalties can kill you. You can have the most time of possession. You can have the most first downs. You can have the most yards. But if you keep losing yardage with penalties, then obviously you can lose a game because of that. And, of course, penalties will kill you. But keep keep doing what you're doing. Just... Fix the penalty problem because they they actually had problems with that last year too, especially with um and Dom because you know he was that rookie.
0: He had four penalties. Well, I think he had three personal foul penalties That's last season. That's what I mean. Yeah, is those
1: those personal foul penalties, especially because those are like those will push it back super far. That's fifteen yards. Yeah, too. fifteen yards, and then you're gonna end up having to punt. But yeah, that that would be the biggest thing I would say they need to work on right now because watching them, I was slipping between the Tigers and the Lions. So I was kind of I missed parts of the Lions' game, but from watching mm-hmm. what I did, they looked really good, and they looked like they wanted to win, and they wanted to get this game, and they wanted this road win, not like the lions at the beginning of the season last year that were like. Eh, we're still trying to figure things out. It's our rebuilding year, that kind of thing.
0: It was, I mean, last year and, like, again, you saw how important game one is, because the Lions had game one stolen from them in that Chicago game last year with didn't complete the process of the catch, blah, blah, crap, that, you know, really, I think, stuck in the head of the Detroit Lions and kind of, you know, really put us in a downward spiral for a little while last season. I don't think we bounced back mentally from that last year, but, yes, there are things to work on, but the Lions looked pretty darn good. They really did. Defensively, they looked good. Offensively, they looked stellar. Um, I was very impressive to see how well they moved the football up and down the field. Um, Moved it great. Um, you know, the Lions just absolutely dominating offensively. Finished with 431 total yards. They scored on five of their first seven possessions. Um, they really looked good. A uh, 36-yard touchdown pass to Calvin Johnson on fourth and two in the second quarter, which was a very gutsy call by Schwartz. But it was a precision pass and a great catch. Um, you know, really getting it done. Uh, and also a very fantastic pass to Tony Scheffler for the 11 large, uh, 11-yard touchdown, um, which was great. It was, a, it was a bullet so low to the ground. I mean, it's the only place he could have put the ball for to actually have that play work out. And he did it. Um, Again, the box score, just not, you know, I mean, the final score, not indicative of the box score. Um, Just bottom line. But uh, if anyone's got any thoughts about this game with the Lions, give me a call, 517-432-3893. How do you like them coming up here against Kansas City next week? First home game. And uh, what do you think that the Lions need to work on the most? Again, 517-432-3893 is the number. But uh, looking ahead to next week when you're talking about the Lions. um, Again, yes, the Lions are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, a team that won the AFC West last year. A surprise AFC West winner. No one really thought that they would take that division. uh, And they did. But they didn't look like it yesterday. Uh, It lost 41-7 to the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely just getting smoked. Um, They looked bad out there. I know Castle was not out there. um, But if you want to talk about negatives here for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now they lost their their best safety in uh, Aaron Barry. Uh, Barry is going to be out now for the entire season with an ACL tear. So, uh, unfortunately, another loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, going into this week, if Vegas is any indicator of how confident I am that we're going to win this game, then I think we're going to win this game. Vegas actually has the Lions. Now, remember, this is the Detroit Lions (laughs) as eight-point favorites for Sunday's game against KC. I can't tell you the last time the Lions were eight point favorites against anybody. <laughs> against anybody. That's serious. They are never really more than a three to three and a half point favorite when it comes to the playing. But they are eight point home favorites. And that like they actually were favored. The Lions were favored in their final three games last season. You know, all those games were at home. And they were never favored by more than three and a half points. So, an eight point spread here for the Lions, I think, is quite Good to see that not only are us as fans are really getting behind this team and really seeing you know, where they're headed, but even Vegas is jumping on board. And if Vegas is jumping on board, that is kind of something else. Doesn't happen too often. But the Lions, honestly, I think should have quite an easy time with Kansas City. I'm not saying to overlook them by any means. But I think that they will win that game next week. Uh, they just, uh, you know, a first home game. That Ford Field is going to be rocking. Uh, people are going to be going crazy down there, especially after this nice win to kick it off. And, you know, the Lions, you know, the way they're playing, people thought they had a tough schedule. And they do. And it's more towards the latter part of the season and the middle. But right now, if you look at, you got KC coming up here next week. Then you're at Minnesota. Which, I know it's a divisional game, but Minnesota didn't look great against uh, the Chargers. Donovan McNabb only having 39 yards of offense, which is... I'd, maybe I could get lucky and throw more than thirty nine yards. I, I don't know, but Minnesota not looking good. And then Dallas. Dallas uh, again. They played a tough game against this, uh, against the Jets here. But you know Tony. Uh, you know Romo, choke artist, uh, plays fifty five minutes of football and then loses. Um, it's what Tony Romo does. Uh, a stupid dive to try to score there. Uh, you know, and you could tell he's about to get just knocked on his butt. Just uh, did you see that Sunday night game at all? Did you see any highlights of no. the Jets and the, the Cowboys? Which. Thank God the Jets won.
1: I I, I heard about it. Like, people were posting on Facebook. Someone put, Tony Romo does it again.
0: He does. Chokes.
1: I'm like, okay, so the Jets won.
0: Just chokes it away. Just absolutely. And then, so, to my point, after at Minnesota, we are at Dallas. But, uh, again, congratulations to the Lions. Great to see you start off 1-0. And uh, really looking forward to the rest of this season for you guys. Uh, real fast, again, a breakdown of just what took place here over the rest of the NFL. Again, the Jets beat the Cowboys 27-24. to uh, Late interception uh, caught by Darrell Revis. Tony Romo, where were you throwing it? Who were you throwing it to? Um, then Arizona defeats Carolina. But, bigger story, Cam Newton throwing for a rookie career high, 430. 22 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Cam Newton shutting up all of his critics. Uh, actually, absolutely dominating, breaking Peyton Manning's uh, rookie uh, first start record. Um, again, San Diego squeaked by Minnesota 24-17. San Francisco, in a ridiculous game, beats Seattle 33-17 with two quick touchdowns by Ted Ginn Jr. Um, also, Chicago decimating the Falcons 30-12 to Chicago, a team to watch out for. Uh, defense looks stout. And the Redskins defeating the New York Giants 28-14. to Rex Grossman looking solid, and Eli Manning not so solid. Hmm. And uh, Philadelphia carving up St. Louis 31-13. Give St. Louis some credit, Sam Bradford did get injured, and Steven Jackson could not really come back into the game as well. Two of their main guys. Jacksonville as well wins. Uh, And more striking news, Baltimore can Completely demolishes the Steelers, thirty-five to seven. Baltimore, who's lost to the Steelers many consecutive times, for seven turnovers on the Steelers, uh, three picks, two fumbles for Ben Roethlisberger. So we'll see what happens there the rest of the year. I'm not too worried about the Steelers though. And Houston and the Colts, Houston absolutely dominating. Uh, Peyton Manningless Colts, thirty-four to seven. Kerry Collins, not really knowing the offense yet and uh, obviously I think we all saw Green Bay, New Orleans, fantastic game on Thursday night mm-hmm. to kick the season off, 42-34. to 34. Um, It was a great, great game, and Green Bay looking like the defending Super Bowl champions. But uh, we are going to move on past football because we just don't have time. Uh, we are going to go now to Detroit Tigers. And the Detroit Tigers, I tell you, like I said, all Michigan teams won this weekend. The Lions won, the Tigers hey. won, the Spartans won, the Wolverines won, and that's all that matters really. I don't know if the, you know... Eagles won or the Chippewas won or the Broncos won, but all the other teams man, uh, that won uh, and that's great to see. I can't even tell you. I, who knows the stat on that? The last time that all of those teams have won on the same day, the same weekend. But uh, looking at the Detroit Tigers here, absolutely playing lights out. They are 22 games over 500 right now at 84-62. and 62. Uh, They have a 10.5 game lead on the White Sox and 11 game lead on the Cleveland Indians. And KC and Minnesota, yet again, still drowning in the D Ben, 23 games back for KC, 25 games back for Minnesota. I can't believe KC's actually, Minnesota's a joke. I can't believe they're having a season like they are this year. But with the injuries, I guess it kind of makes sense. But again, that's nine consecutive wins for our Detroit Tigers. That's three consecutive sweeps, and not just th- any kind of three sweeps. That's three <coughs> divisional matchup sweeps, beating, sweeping the Indians, sweeping the White Sox, and then sweeping the Minnesota Twins. Um, they were looking... Fantastic out there on the field, um, which is very impressive. Again, I mean, they haven't won nine straight games since 1984. And if we all remember 1984, I mean, I wasn't born yet, but they did win the World Series. (laughs) So uh, it's uh, good things to come. Um, The Lions, uh, their longest winning streak uh, was an 11-game win streak in 1968 also. Won the World Series. So uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but they are two wins away from tying that. They only have 16 games remaining on their schedule, and the magic number is getting lower and lower. The magic number is down to eight right now, so they've pretty much solidified a spot winning the Central Division. Um, looking past, looking over this last week quickly, uh, Monday through last Wednesday, we were at the Indians, and again we won them all, four uh, to two. Fister got his seventh win on uh, on Monday, and then a ten to one dominant uh, pitching uh, performance by Rick Porcello, which was really good to see after some struggles recently. And our boy Justin Verlander getting win twenty two there on Wednesday in a win eight to six is your final. Uh, looking on Friday through Sunday, we were home against the Minnesota Twinkies. And the Twinkies did not win. 8-4 uh, to four is your final score on Friday night. Brad Penny getting his 10th win, which is uh, nice to see. Uh, Penny now has 10. And we actually have the potential to have five pitchers. All of our starters have 10-plus wins. 10 wins or more, I guess is a better way to put it. Fister also getting win number 8 on Sunday here in a 2-1 to victory. Um, Fister, who... I mean, Jesus, this guy's looked amazing. Um, he's got a .74 start in his last five starts for the Tigers. Um, actually having better numbers than JV. I'm not saying he's a better pitcher than JV, but I'm just saying he's on fire. Um, he's pitching fantastic. You look at Saturday's game, Brandon Inge. Out of all guys, Brandon Inge hits a walk-off home run. and That's when you kind of see the magic behind this team. It's uh, you know Brandon Inge hitting his third home run of the season and then getting the win 3-2. And again, yes, yeah, Sunday, 2-1 is your final score with Fister getting win number eight. And Mr. Jose Valverde getting his forty third consecutive save which now broke uh, breaking todd jones 's save record of forty two which he set in two thousand so Megan, looking at these Tigers, they got three games coming up here against Chicago. They're going to be at Chicago Monday through Wednesday. That game actually starts here at eight ten, And then they'll be Thursday through Sunday at Oakland. Um, not really how they're going to fare the rest of the way, because I think we know they're going to win the division. I think we get that. Yeah. I'm not trying to really jump ahead of myself, but, I mean, come on. If you can't say it now, when can you say it? But, um, you know, looking at this team, what – do you think the starting rotation should be in the playoffs? Um, You know, obviously you got JV as your number one. Mm -hmm. I think that's an automatic no matter what. Mm -hmm. Who do you put at number two? You're going to put Fister at two. You're going to put Scherzer at two. What do you think is the better move there? At two? At two, at the two spot. Because, uh, I mean, either guy could have it. Again, I mean, Fister's been pitching great. You know, penny solid. All these guys are going to be ready to go. Yeah. Um. You know, so it, just as if you, if you were Jim Leland and you were, you know, you know, no, you were, if you were Jim a 67-year-old man and, you know, and you ate sunflower seeds all the time, uh, yeah. who would you pick as your uh, starting rotation?
1: I'm not good at that. I'm gonna be honest.
0: That's okay. Just Fister, uh, Scherzer. I mean, you've seen. I mean, Doug Fister has looked fantastic the last five starts. But you know, Scherzer. You know, he's had his inconsistency throughout the season with some problems with control. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I mean, he's had a pretty darn good year. I'd say.
1: I I think I'd put just because Fister's so much newer. That's probably really bad English right there. Um, (laughs) Just because he's a lot newer to the team, I would probably put Scherzer before Fister. To be honest. Okay. Um. I mean, Scherzer has been extremely good as well as Fister has but just because I I could see Scherzer coming after Verlander okay that's what I see
0: gotcha I mean I really don't mind either or I personally think I think Fister would be better at number two it just because of the way he has been pitching lately I mean this isn't like two good outings I mean he's five and one with the Tigers now and a 0.74 ERA in his last five starts is quite impressive And he's only given up three earned runs on 22 hits in 36 and two-thirds innings. And that's with four walks and 36 strikeouts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he really has turned it on. And a guy at 6'8", like Fister, tallest Tiger pitcher ever... (laughs) He really—he's he, he huge. Be a basketball player. He easily could be a basketball player, and I mean, I think just you know, he's just staring down at that plate, and he can really dominate it mm-hmm. quite well. Mm-hmm. So, um, I personally would go um, with Pfister, but really, I mean, I think we're kind of debating apples and oranges here. Right, they're um, two
1: different pitchers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. completely different.
0: Completely, pitchers. <laughs> yes. But I just saying, I think they're both quite solid. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I think overall, there it's not going to really be a big deal. Um, if you want to know really what the rotation could look like here, of uh, First, first off, Verlander's last three starts of the season are going to be Tuesday night in Chicago, Sunday in Oakland, and then Saturday against Baltimore. So at home. So those will be his last three starts. So if you do want to catch a start, the last chance you will get for Verlander is Saturday. If you want to go to the game, I mean,
1: might have to go
0: Saturday at Baltimore. <laughs> um, should be a good environment. You know, last weekend. You know, of the season should be pretty darn good. But, uh, you know, looking at these guys, Verlander would pitch game one. He'll have five days rest. Um, That'll be one more than he does usually get, but he will have five days rest going into game one of the playoffs. Um a lot of people yeah like yourself a lot of people think Scherzer too. Um you know he would have 4 days rest if his uh you know if he had that fun, if he pitched game 2 but you know he'll be on 4 days rest. Uh, Doug Pfister Fister could start the third game, could t- start the second game, but uh Fister he'll make his last start in the second to last game of the season against the Cleveland Indians and uh you know if that then Fister would You know, pitch game three. So it might work out like that. They'll just go Scherzer too because Fitzgerald have a little more extra time off Mm -hmm. and that he'll start in game three. Um, Verlander would not be able to start game four on three days rest if, you know, in the playoffs, but he would be ready for a game five if that would be necessarily necessary. Uh, Necessary, excuse me. Necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) Necessarily. And uh, let's see. uh, That's a little fun fact here against the Twins. The Tigers have won 18 of their last 22 games against the Twins. And if you want to talk about the longest winning streak the Tigers have ever had, it's been 14. And they did that in 1909 with Ty Cobb and those boys in 1934. So it's been a minute since the Detroit Tigers have gotten that done. Um, looking real fast around the league, the Boston Red Sox are three and a half games behind the New York Yankees. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, um, funnily enough, are have the potential to have the best record in the in, uh, in American League, excuse me, not all of baseball, which could give them overall home field advantage through the ALCS. Um, which is very impressive. Uh, you know, right now they have a better record than Texas, actually. So if the playoffs did start today, then that means we would be playing Boston um, in the ALDS. So we'll see how that shakes out. Tampa Bay, um, they're getting it done. Tampa Bay, right now they're only three and a half games out of the wild card spot, and no one would have thought that when there was a nine and a half game lead for Boston not more than eleven days ago. So with the Rays playing, I think like roughly eleven of their last like seventeen against the Yankees and Red Sox. This, quite frankly, could happen. So just something to pay attention to. Again, looking at tonight's game, you're going to have Rick Porcello on the mound. He's going to be going up against John Danks. Rick Porcello going for win 14. Again, Tuesday's Justin Verlander versus Gavin Floyd. Verlander going for number 23. He's got a 2-4-4 ERA going into Tuesday's matchup. And on Wednesday, we'll have Brad Penny going against somebody they don't know yet. But they just don't. Um, yeah, and Porcello again. He was winless in his previous four starts, but he's 2 0 now in his last three starts with a 275 ERA. And he has pitched well on the road. He's got an 8 3 record actually on the road this season. So, uh, Megan, you'd like to do some NASCAR for all of our fans?
1: I would love to. Awesome. Sure. Okay. So this past Saturday, I'm sorry, guys, I failed. I didn't watch it because I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. Fail. Watching, watching all of the college football games. Not fail
0: at all. Okay. <laughs> if anyone was watching NASCAR, not watching college football, yes. I'm sorry. I was
1: watching college football. It was also the night, well, I mean, Michigan-Notre and Dame was on, so obviously I was watching that. But so I'm just going to give you kind of a rundown because that's all I can really give you. Um, this was the wonderful Pistachios 400, and it was in, um, gosh, it was in Richmond. Next week's in Chicago. If anyone really wants to make a road trip, um, September 18th is in Chicago. Um, But this was the last race before the chase. So basically the top ten in the standings are pretty much just going to be battling it out. You know, make it and win and all that kind of good stuff. Um, But just to give you a rundown about this past race, um, Kevin Harvick ended up winning. Uh, Actually, I do have a fun fact for you guys. I know um, Jimmy Johnson went out twice. Yeah, I saw going that. Going he got, his car
0: looked like he was gonna fall apart.
1: Well, he was battling out with um. God, I want to see was it, was it, it,
0: Bu- it, it was Kyle. Was I think. it Kyle Bush? I mean, okay, Kyle got, seemed to always get into yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and I don't think they like each other very much. I don't think so at all. Um, I guess Kyle clipped him and crashed his car, and I I don't know what lapses are on. And then That's Jimmy came after him again after he got like fixed his car, and then spun him out. He, he, no, he went to go after him, and he missed him, and he ran straight into a wall. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't even know where he finished. Let me see if I can figure out where he finished. I don't even know if he's on here. Where is he? Um, he ended up finishing 31st. And that was the guy who actually won the chase last year. Just to let you know. Um, but yeah, we had Kevin Harvick in first, Carl Edwards second, Jeff Gordon third, for all your Gordon lovers out there, David Reagan in fourth, and Kurt Busch in fifth, and then Kyle in sixth. So... Um, actually, I'll give you the rundown of the chase too, because this is pretty much race of the chase. You know, we got all this good stuff going on. We got Chicago and then we have Loudon, Dover, Kansas, Charlotte, Talladega, Martinsville, Texas, Phoenix, and Homestead. So, I mean, there's, that's only like, gosh, 12 races left. I want to say, I don't know. I didn't
0: get them. It's very short.
1: Yeah. So we got Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Jeff Gordon, Matt Kenseth, Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson, even though he came in 30th, um, he's sixth in the chase, Kurt Busch, Ryan Newman, Tony Stewart, and then my favorite, Dale Earnhardt, actually barely squeaked in in 10th for the chase. Um, This past race, we had a ton of cautions, probably because of Jimmy being dumb. I don't even want to count how many on here. There's probably about 14 um 11 lead changes so I guess it was a very exciting race and that's why I we we're getting texts at the when we were at Buffalo Wild Wings saying it's a really good race people are crashing left and right that kind of thing you know that kind of whatever there's eight or nine people on here that had engine or accidents or ignition or something went wrong that kind of thing and then I told you about Jimmy and Kyle Busch. so Yeah, I mean, we're getting down to the wire. That's your top 10, if I talked a little fast. That's your top 10 for uh, Race for the Chase coming up. And Chicago's next weekend, September 18th. So if you'd like to look at that, then go ahead. Well,
0: let me ask you real quickly, if you had to pick someone to win the championship right now, just one name. One name. Jimmy Johnson has won it, what, five years in a row.
1: God, Jimmy better lose. That's all I'm saying. If I had to pick it, I mean, the one big surprise this year has been Jeff Gordon, although he has been good in the past. That was a long time ago. He's been in NASCAR for a very long time. I would pick him. I would like him to win.
0: It's not he, a bad pick at all. He you know, has been hot.
1: He's been doing very, very well. He's been finishing very high up, um, and he's been in the top 10, I want to say, in, in the last like four or five races. So I could see him totally pulling out. It out here.
0: No, he could. And uh, yeah, no, good stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, Megan, I forgot one thing regarding the Tigers. Unfortunately, uh, if you guys want to go to the ALDS, maybe good luck. Um, the uh, tickets went on sale actually uh, this morning and sold out in less than an hour. Um, I do understand that they haven't made the playoffs yet. Yeah. So it's kind of like you know you're selling tickets for possibly something that won't take place, mm-hmm. but they're pretty sure, certain they will. Um, the exact number of tickets sold for the games at Comerica were not disclosed, but a limited number are still available um, uh, for fans placing a deposit on full season tickets for 2012. So again, it's going to be very tough to get tickets if you do not have if you're not a season ticket holder. Uh, the number of tickets made available to the general public might not have been large. Season ticket holders were given first priority for playoff tickets and were informed recently they could purchase additional seats before the public sale began. Uh, It is uncertain at this point where the maximum number of games, either two or three, the Tigers will be in position to host in a division series. And for that matter, since they haven't clinched anything yet, it's not guaranteed they will host anything. Um, That is from Tom Gage from the Detroit News um, talking about, I mean, they sold out in less than an hour. People are really hyped. Excited. Very excited. They should to be. Find, and they should be. And uh, you know if, if and when, I'll say when, the Tigers do clinch the division, uh, game one will be on Friday night September 30th, so uh, that'll be great to see. Real fast, I'm a huge tennis fan, so I need to bring it up. The U.S. Open has been taking place over the last two weeks and uh, basically yesterday uh, Serena Williams lost her head and lost the match uh, to Sam Stocher. Uh Williams, who was ranked 28th going into this tournament but is way better than her ranking, been dealing with injury, loses to Sam Stosur 6-2, 6-3 straight sets. Um, Serena actually getting fined $2,000 for comments towards the chair umpire just Really losing her cool mm. um, Just was not very happy at all And it, you know It's kind of a, it's, it's it's annoying Because this wasn't a match That there were some bad calls necessi- Close games um, She got smoked 6-6-3 six six, Stosher absolutely dominated her So uh, congratulations For Sam, uh, Sam Stosher That's her first Grand Slam title Of her career And you know Venus just Get your head on straight It's okay She'll be around still. And in one of the most exciting matches of all week, which I actually watched a decent amount of this, I was flipping between this and the Spartan game. Um, It took place between Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. Uh, That match took place on Saturday, uh, which was an incredible five-set match. Uh, Djokovic losing the first two sets and a tiebreaker 6-7 and then 4-6, rallying back 6-3, 6-2, 7-5 to win Uh, and to go on to the finals here. And he's playing Rafael Nadal, actually as we speak. Uh, Djokovic now 63-2 on the year. Um, it was only his uh, second uh, career comeback from down two sets. And Federer lost a two-set lead for the first time in three months after going 178-0 in the quarterfinals. So like I said, it was an amazing match. Rafael Nadal did defeat Andy Murray in four sets in the semifinals as well. Djokovic, who is playing Nadal right now, is 5-0 and against Nadal this year. And as we speak right now, uh, let's see, Djokovic won the first two sets 6-2, 6-4 and Rafi Nadal just took the third set in a tiebreaker 7-6 and they are on serve in the fourth set that is on CBS if you did want to take a look at le- look at that but um, some great tennis from these two gentlemen um, always been very greatly contested battles between Federer Djokovic, and Nadal um, three of the best uh, in the world obviously at 1-2-3 so again, that's on channel 9 or whatever CBS is for yourself but anything else, Megan?
1: I I'm out. I mean, that was a pack full show, if you ask me. That was as
0: packed as it gets. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this show. Um, it's been a great time, uh, conversing, and uh, definitely tune in next week. We got a lot to talk about. Spartans come, you know, hopefully coming off a win from Notre Dame. The Lions, the Chiefs, we got it all for you here. Uh, I want to thanks everyone again for listening to Spartan Sports Wrap on eighty eight point nine WDBM East Lansing. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune
1: in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis.
0: Here and only here on Impact 89FM.